couple of weeks ago, I was on one of my ADD breaks, which I take in the office because of my uh, attention deficit. I, I have to get up and kind of just walk around or I go crazy. And so I walk around the building and uh, look around. If you ever hear and you see me doing that, that's what that's for. But I g was going out to the Child Development Center. We have a Child Development Center here. And so I went out to go and uh, peek at the kids out there. And as I snuck out to watch the children on the playground, I saw a scene that reminded me of, of a scene that everyone in this room can relate to. Probably everyone in this room has been a part of. You see, as I was sticking my head out and watching them, uh, I saw one of the little girls come up to one of our CDC teachers and ask if she could ride one of the little bikes that we have out there, little tricycles. Well, as she was asking, one of the little boys heard her asking, and he ran and grabbed the bike that she was wanting and took off on it, just going crazy uh, down the way. And so that led to her leaving from asking, running, screaming after him, saying, it's my bike. And, and him laughing as he was going, and they circled the playground, him laughing and her screaming. That happened for a little bit. And, and maybe you've seen a scene like that, but uh, what happened, what result of that was, is that our CDC teacher, uh, which we have some of the best that there are, our teachers are phenomenal, and uh, they saw what was going on, they came and stopped it to them, and they had a little powwow between the little boy and the little girl, and they had them stand there and face each other, and uh, you've probably been a part of this, they had the little boy say, I'm sorry for taking the bike, and the little girl say, I forgive you. Now, I watched them do this, and they may have meant what they were saying, but their faces did not mean what they were saying. Uh, some of you have been a part of something like that. All of us, if, if you grew up in a home with brothers or sisters, or if you had multiple kids in your house, uh, you had a scene played out like that uh, probably all the time, especially if you have siblings. You had to play that out where you're forced uh, to hug and kiss and say, I'm sorry, and, and the other person says, I forgive you, or it's okay. And uh, my fear in watching that scene is that we've been studying through the life of Joseph and all that Joseph has gone through, and Joseph here at the end of his life, is seeking to reconcile his family, seeking uh, to reestablish the family that's been lost for the last 20 years. And, and my fear is I was thinking about that and working on last week's message, and I, I noticed them doing that. I thought, I wonder how many of us as adults have taken that same behavior and projected it into our adulthood. You see, we're so quick to say, I'm sorry. We're so quick even to say, uh, when someone says, I'm sorry to us, to say, it's no big deal. It's not an issue or, or forget about it. But, but I wonder if we really mean what we say. Now, last week we talked about restoration and Joseph was working to restore his relationship. And we talked about the difference between uh, being repentant and being sorry. Uh, there is a big difference in regret and repentance. You know, a lot of us say, I'm sorry for what I did, but, but that's not enough to really prove forgiveness and reconciliation. For, for us as Christians, we're called not just to feel sorry for what we do or, or to say that we're sorry for what we did. We are called to change our behavior to prove that we did not like doing what we did. And that's repentance. It's turning around from behavior and changing our behavior. And as I said, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been dancing around this idea of forgiveness. And what does forgiveness mean? Uh, we talked about all the things that forgiveness means and all the things that forgiveness doesn't mean. But I wonder this morning if we really understand the power of forgiveness. And if we really understand the power of forgiveness, if we are really forgiving people in our lives. Now I know in a room like this at church on Sunday morning, 
most of us followers of Jesus Christ, uh, it's not an issue of us not knowing we're supposed to forgive. I mean, we know Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we are called as believers, as new creations, to forgive as Jesus forgave. So we know that truth. We understand the truth. But it's not the knowledge that I worry about. It's the practice. It's the reality. It's the action of forgiving someone. Because you see what I'm afraid is, we say we forgive someone, but yet we harbor those feelings deep inside. And whether we know it or not, those feelings slowly turn from, from disappointment or anger or hurt to bitterness. And we find ourselves in a place of bitterness or we find ourselves angry and we don't know why we're angry. We find ourselves dealing with struggles in our lives and we don't know why those things are there. And a lot of times it's because we have not let go of something we were asked to forgive. Now, you see, forgiveness is more than just saying a few words. It's more than just looking somebody in the face and saying, I'm sorry. It's, it's not about the action. Forgiveness is a hard attitude. It's something that takes place before you ever ask to forgive somebody, before you ever tell somebody you're forgiven. It's something that takes place in our heart as we take whatever was done to us, whatever was said about us, whatever wasn't done that we thought should have been done, and we take that action that hurt us, and hand it over to God. And by handing it over to God, we take our hands off of it. Now, that doesn't mean we forget it, because we've talked about this. You can't forget it. But what it does mean, like Joseph prayed, that that we allow God to take the pain of that action and remove it. And once we do that, then we no longer hold any ill regard or any ill will towards the person we are forgiving. Now, my question for you this morning as we start, before we dive into Joseph, is how can you really know? How can you really know if you've forgiven somebody? How can you really know if forgiveness has become a reality? If it's more than words, if it's more than going through the motions, if it is an action that takes place in our heart, then how do you know that you've forgiven someone? Well, this morning, I want you to see from Joseph's behavior towards his brother's what it looks like to walk out true forgiveness. What it looks like to not just experience it, but to give it to someone. Because you see, as we ask ourselves, if I've really forgiven someone, our actions show a different story. And you can always determine by our actions whether or not we've forgiven someone. So I'm going to look at this story of Joseph. And as we look at his story, I think you'll see a few things jump out that help us understand what it looks like to really walk forgiveness out in our lives. Now, we've already seen as Joseph has encountered his brothers throughout uh, the reconciliation, as he is getting ready to be reunited, that they feel guilty. They feel remorse. Uh, We saw, you know, in his story, which would be several weeks ago, several months possibly, that when they they were confronted and they thought they had done something wrong, when Joseph had tricked them, their first reaction was to say, this is payback for what we did to Joseph because they were dealing with guilt. So they were guilty. They recognized what what they had done. And, And we know that Joseph had forgiven them. We, we talked about it when we looked at his children's names. If you remember back several weeks ago, he named his firstborn son Manasseh, which in Hebrew means God caused me to forget. The idea that he named his son Manasseh was God allowed him to forgive his brothers for beating him up and throwing him in prison. So we know that Joseph in his heart says he's forgiven. 
Now he's been sending his brothers through a couple of tests just to see before he reveals himself to them whether or not they have changed. And the way he determined whether or not they were changed, if you remember, is first of all, he sought to see if they were completely honest. You see, before any relationship can be restored, there has to be complete honesty on both sides. And Joseph was completely honest, and he watched to see if his brothers were honest, asking them questions, and they were honest. And then last week we saw he gave them two tests, and the tests that he gave them were to see whether they were changed. He wanted to see whether they would do like they did him and and sacrifice their brother for the sake of their own lives. And the brothers did just the opposite last week. Matter of fact, when, when Joseph tricked them into putting silver into their youngest brother Benjamin's bag, and he said that man was going to have to be a slave, all of the brothers sacrificed themselves and said, take us instead. And when we ended last week at the end of chapter 44, the, the very brother Judah, who convinced the brothers 20 years earlier to get rid of Joseph, to sell him into slavery, was now saying, please don't do this. Matter of fact, take me as a slave and let Benjamin go. So Joseph recognized that they were changed. And Joseph, in the midst of this discussion, is overcome with emotion, and he is about to reveal who he is. Remember, they've met him several times, but they don't know it's Joseph. He looks like an Egyptian. He's second in command of all of Egypt. They don't understand it's him. And he's about to reveal himself because he determined that they have been restored. He determined that they had been truthful. He determined that they had felt guilty. And now he is going to show them true forgiveness. And I want you to listen to it and see if you can pick out some of the characteristics of what it looks like to live a forgiven life. Look at chapter 45 of Genesis, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, and you can kind of follow along. Many people consider this passage one of the most beautiful passages in the Old Testament, comparable to Jesus reconciling and coming back together with his disciples after his resurrection. Listen to what happens. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now this, this isn't a sniffle cry. This isn't a, uh, you know, holding it back. This is an ugly cry. Joseph is overwhelmed with 20 years of emotion. He is recognizing his brothers. He is about to pour out his love on his brothers. And he is overwhelmed emotionally. He's weeping. He sends everybody out of the room. Then Joseph said to his brothers, and he says this in Hebrew, he says, Ane Yosef, I am Joseph. Now, I want you to, you know, we've talked about this before. Sometimes stuff doesn't jump off the page because it's a story. But I want you to imagine, here are these 11 brothers that haven't seen Joseph in 20 years. The last time they saw him, he was being shackled and led off into slavery. They had told their dad he was dead. They had lived their lives for 20 years as if he is dead. And here they are standing face to face to this guy who looks like an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's holding power like an Egyptian. And this man looks at these brothers. They're begging for their lives. And he looks at them in the midst of all of this weeping and says, I'm Joseph, your brother. Well, naturally, they're they're caught off guard. They're shocked. Imagine what would be going through their minds. Imagine what they're thinking about as he says this. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They're scared to death. He is one of the most powerful men in the world, and he is telling them, I am the brother that you sold into slavery. 
Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done that, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not get angry with yourselves for telling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. See, Joseph recognized God's hand in all of this. He wasn't blaming his brothers. He had forgiven his brothers. He had let go of this so much so that he recognized that God was in control. And here he is freeing his brothers. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. For he made my father to Pharaoh, the lord of the entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say this to him. This is what your son Joseph said. For God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. For you shall live in this region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. And I will provide for you there because of five years of famine is to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. He's saying, listen, I want everybody to move here. Come from the land of Canaan down to Goshen because there is a famine and I'm going to take care of you. So move everybody here. He says, you can see for yourself and my brother Benjamin that it is really I who is speaking to you. For tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father here quickly. And he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, his youngest brother, and he wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and he wept after them and afterwards his brothers talked with him. And when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all of his officials were pleased. I love that picture that... that it reached all the way to Pharaoh that God had reconciled this family. Now there are a couple of things that jump out of this that Joseph lived out, not just in word but in action to show that he was really forgiven. And really, I'm going to give you six things that come out of this that are really a test to see whether you have forgiven somebody. So I want you to remember these as you talk about your forgiveness and how you have forgiven somebody. Uh, I want you to ask yourself, think about... This morning, a person that you have recently forgiven. Think about somebody that has hurt you, somebody that has done something to you, somebody that didn't do what you expected or, or they have hurt you in the past and you are working through the forgiveness process. And listen, it doesn't happen overnight. It took 20 years for Joseph. You can't walk out of room and say, okay, I'm forgiven and it's done and it's over. It takes time for your heart to let those things go. But you have got to begin the process. So think about those people and ask yourselves, have I really forgiven them? Now the first way we know that Joseph experienced total forgiveness is because when you have given total forgiveness to somebody, you will keep what was done to you or what was said about you private. You'll keep it private. What was the first thing Joseph did? Clear the room. Why did Joseph clear the room? Because he didn't want anybody else to know what they were about to talk about. He didn't want anybody else to know what his brothers had done because it was something private between him and them. See, he had a plan. He was going to bring his whole family to Egypt, and he didn't want his brothers to have to live under a cloud of everyone knowing what they did to him 20 years before. So he wanted it to remain private. He wanted it to remain quiet. You see, that's the way you and I are forgiven. When God forgives us, he takes our sins and he wipes it out as far as the east is from the west. And he forgets about them. But it remains a secret between he and us. See, at the end of our lives, God's not going to 
stand before us or us stand before God and Him show all the bad things that we did in our lives for everyone to see. Why? Because He's already removed all of those things from the east is from the west, never to bring it up again. Think about all the things that God knows about you. All the things that God knows about me. All of the things that we have disappointed and done and said. All of those secret things in our lives that only God knows. Who does He tell? No one. It's our secret. Why? Because He loves us. You see, and when you forgive somebody, you don't go around talking about all that they did to you and all that they said about you or all that they didn't do. Why? Because it is between you and them and you keep it private. See, we like to bring it up. We like to talk about it because we want to punish that other person. We want to make them feel bad. We want to make them look bad. We want to hurt their reputation. Why? Because they hurt us. That's not forgiveness not forgiveness for you to go and tell everyone around you what someone else did to you when they hurt you. That's between you and them. By doing that, what you are doing is walking out of anger, not walking out of forgiveness. And see, it's amazing to me as we say we've forgiven somebody way back in our past, but we are so quick to talk about all the things that they did that disappointed us. You hadn't forgiven them because you're still trying to punish them. You're still trying to hurt them. Joseph said, I'm not interested in punishing them by having everyone know what they did that disappointed me. I'm going to let it stay private. Because you see, when you really forgive somebody, you will keep their actions private and forgotten. The second thing Joseph did, when you've given total forgiveness, you will not allow the other person that's hurt you, that's disappointed you, to be afraid of you or be intimidated by you. See, Joseph knew they were going to be scared to death. Joseph knew that automatically in their mind, they were thinking, what is he going to do to us because of what we did to him? And so how did he go to them? He went to them in tears and compassion. He knew that they had power, but he wanted them to feel comfortable and not intimidated. He wanted them to not experience fear. See, what happens to us is we say we forgive somebody, but we kind of like it when they're intimidated by us, don't we? We say we've forgiven and, and we've walked away from it and we've given it to God and we've let go of it, but, but we kind of like it when we're going through Walmart and we see that person coming down another aisle and they look at us and they see us coming and they get scared because they don't want to come by us or confront us and so they turn to walk away. We kind of get a little feeling in there, ooh, that was nice, wasn't it? Because we, we want them to be afraid of us. We want them to be intimidated by us because we want them to know you hurt me. That's not forgiveness. You see, forgiveness allows the other person to feel comfortable and safe and secure in your presence because they know that you're about love. They know you're about doing what Christ has called us to be. See, we we love to to allow them to to walk in fear. We love to allow them to to be scared because we want to punish them. But the Bible says true love wipes out fear. See, where there is real love, fear can't exist. And when you replace forgiveness with love, because that's the next step. As you forgive somebody, the next step is for you to love them in spite of them. Say, wait, time out, Pastor. Now you're, you're just getting all nosy in our business, right? 
And it's one thing to forgive somebody, but now you're telling me that I've got to love them? Was it enough that Jesus forgave you? If Paul tells us in Colossians, we're supposed to forgive as he forgives, then what was the next step after Jesus took your sins and forgave all of them? He loved and accepted you in spite of them. And if we are called to be more like Christ, then that is our goal. And when you experience forgiveness, we have got to be ones that allow forgiveness and love to be so overwhelming that that person is not afraid of us. They're not intimidated of us. Think about how Jesus responded to the disciples. Can you imagine how scared those guys were? They had denied him. And we saw the video last week talking about Peter. I mean, Peter three times. Peter's out on the boat. Doesn't even want to come up. And Jesus goes to him afterwards. And Peter's hemming and hawing. Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, you know, yeah, I kind of love you. He says, no, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me with everything? And Peter says, Lord, I love you. I'm so sorry. He says, feed my sheep. He didn't say, I can't believe while they were beating me on a post, you were denying me and walking away. He, he said, I don't want you to be scared. He said, that's the way God wants us. God doesn't want you to come to him scared, fearful. God wants you to come to him knowing that he loves and he forgives and he brings grace and he brings mercy. Don't want you to be scared to pray to Him. Don't want you to be scared to come into His presence. That's how He wants us. When we have totally forgiven others, we won't let them live in fear. The third thing, when we've given total forgiveness to somebody else, we want them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. It's one of the best things that Joseph does here. You you don't hear Joseph say anything about his past, do you? Here's Joseph with his brothers. Does he mention any of the things that he has gone through the last 20 years? I mean, he can say, listen, you don't know. You know, I forgive you. Here's how we say it, right? I forgive you, but I hope you feel bad about what you did, right? I forgive you, but you don't understand how much pain you caused me. And I was in prison, Joseph could have said, in 13 years, and nobody cared. And I was thrown into a pit, and I was sold as a 17-year-old into a country I didn't know about. Now, I forgive you. That's not forgiveness. See, Joseph didn't say anything about it. He didn't want them to walk in guilt. He wanted them to forgive himself. So what did he say? Listen. When you think about what you did, don't worry about it because God had a greater plan. You see, he allowed the bigger picture and his faith in God to overcome all of that sense of guilt that he could have put on somebody else. You see, we, we say we forgive, but we really like it when other people feel bad about what they did, don't we? See, the reason we enjoy having other people feel guilty is because we still struggle with guilt. One of the greatest tools that the devil uses on believers is false guilt. He loves to beat us down. How bad you are, how much bad stuff you've done. Listen, if it's under the cross, if you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, tell the devil to shut up. He's got no power and no control over any of those things. And the only reason the devil knows about them is because you've kept bringing it up. See, he doesn't know about anything that you don't tell him. He's not God. He listens to you bringing it up and feeling guilty about something you already let go. And we like feeling guilty, so we want other people to feel guilty about what they did. So we hold it over them. You see, what God wants us to give when we give forgiveness is to give them the opportunity to feel forgiven. 
to feel like they've been set free. The fourth thing, when you've been given total forgiveness, you'll protect them from their greatest fear. Now, what do you think the brother's greatest fear was the moment Joseph revealed himself? Now, think about it. Probably their first thought was, wow, it's our brother Joseph. He's alive. And then all of a sudden they probably felt relief because he wasn't going to squash them and he wasn't going to kill them and he wasn't going to put them in slavery, which they probably deserved. And so they felt relief from forgiveness. But probably right after that, what do you think they began to think? Oh, no. What are we going to tell Dad? What are we going to tell our dad that we lied to 20 years ago and told him that his brother was killed by a wild animal when in reality we took him and sold him into slavery? And the reason our dad hasn't got to spend any time with this son for 20 years, he lost 20 years of his life, is because we did it. You don't think that fear was overwhelming in their hearts? See, you and I all have great fear. You know what most of our greatest fear is that we'll be found out? But somehow people will know the things that we've done and said and think. Those things that are done in secret, somehow we're afraid that we will be found out. But what does God do with you and I? He takes those secret things and He removes them, locks them up, never brings it back up again. I love what Joseph does to his brothers. He says, listen, go tell your dad this. God sent me here to save the family. He didn't say a word about any of the other stuff. He didn't say, go tell your dad that even though you guys threw me in jail and prison and slavery, God kind of worked it out. That's not what he said. What did he say? Go tell dad God has a plan to save our family. Go tell dad he's got to come here because we know that God's created a covenant with Abraham and that covenant has gone all the way down to his grandkids and God had a plan and I was part of that plan. See, he wanted them to be removed from guilt. He didn't want them to feel guilty about what they did. He didn't want them to feel bad about what they did. He wanted them to escape that greatest fear. See, you and I, and, and I thought about this when I was thinking about escaping that greatest fear. I thought, you know, probably the spiritual thing, what we would say in church is the brothers should probably go to Joseph and say, I mean, to Jacob, their dad, and say, listen, we have to tell you the truth. We threw Joseph in the well 20 years ago. That, that sounds like the spiritual answer, but that's not the truth. Because think about what would have happened if they had done that. If they'd have gone back to their dad and said, Dad, Joseph is alive. He's in Egypt. And oh, by the way, the reason he is in Egypt is because when we told you he was dead, we really threw him into a well and then sold him into slavery. And we're really sorry. What would, what would Jacob's response be? He'd be bitter and angry towards the other sons. He'd live in regret. God knew Joseph knew that the best thing to do was to not hash up the past, to let it all go, and to move forward. And you see, when you're walking in forgiveness, you let yesterday go, and you walk into tomorrow. You let all those things and those feelings and those hurts and those actions, you walk away from them. That's why we studied last week in 1 Corinthians where the, the writer says that, that love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love doesn't keep a list of all the things that we did in the past hoping that we can bring it back out and everybody can know what we did or so that you might be revealed. Listen, that's why you don't just walk up to somebody and say, I forgive you. Okay? Don't, don't go up to somebody that's hurt you in the past and say, hey, listen, I just want you to know I forgive you. Why? Because it's going to bring on more problems than that would have done. You pray about it. You let go of it in your heart. And if God brings them to you, then you can say, I forgive you. I forgave you a long time ago. I release you. Because you see, true forgiveness will always protect instead of hurt. See, what we need to understand is when we think about all the things that God knows about us and remain silent, that compels us to remain silent about other people's sins. God doesn't blackmail us. God doesn't say, I'm going to tell on you. And we shouldn't either. We need to let people experience freedom. The fifth thing, when you give total forgiveness, it's a lifelong commitment. This is a hard one. Forgiving somebody is not about just right now. It's about tomorrow and the next day. You see, because here in church, all of you are going to say, that person I had you think about, and you're working through this list, you're going to say, okay, I've forgiven them. But tomorrow, you're going to have to get up and renew that covenant and say, I'm going to forgive you today too. And I'm going to forgive you the next day. And tomorrow, it may be harder than it is sitting in church on Sunday morning. It's a lifelong commitment. 17 years after this reunion where they all come together, Joseph and the brother's dad, Jacob, dies. 17 years later, they've been living in Egypt, they've been celebrating. 17 years later, Jacob dies, and the first thing the brothers worry about in chapter 50 of Genesis, now we're going to get punished. Joseph just forgave us as long as our dad was alive, and now that dad's dead, he's coming back to punish. And so they wrote him a letter. You can go read it in chapter 50. It's sad. It says, listen, dad wanted us to tell you That's really what they said. Dad wanted us to tell you that after he dies, he knows that you might hold a grudge, but he wants you to keep forgiving us. When Joseph read it, he wept. And his response was saying this, I forgave you then, and I forgive you now. I read about a husband and wife that were arguing, and the husband looked at his wife and said, "I, I thought you forgave me. And she said, that was yesterday. Today's a different story. It's the way we live. It's hard to forgive somebody because even here's what happens. I mean, let's just be honest. We forgive somebody and we've let it go and we've been practicing not letting them live in fear and, and not telling anybody what's going on, not talking about it. And, and we've tried to let them be without guilt. And we're walking through this process and, and then five years later, something else happens to that person. Maybe they do the same thing that they did to you to somebody else. It is such a great temptation to want to jump in and take up their offense with them and say, listen, let me tell you what they did to me. Right? Don't look at me spiritual. We do that. But loving somebody and forgiving somebody means that once I've forgiven, see, God doesn't do that. 
You struggled with lust when you were younger or struggled with your temper. And God says, I forgive you for losing your temper. And the next time you lose your temper, God doesn't go. I told you you would do this again. I remember when you did it back then. Why? Because that's not the way he operates. He forgives. And you and I have got to forgive. Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and for as long as we live. It's a lifelong commitment. You see, I must not tell what I know. I must not cause them to feel fear. I must not make them feel guilty. I must not reveal their secret. And I've got to keep it to myself for as long as I live. That's what giving forgiveness is. But then there's a last one. And if you thought any of those were hard, this is impossible. Matter of fact, John Calvin said it was one of the most difficult processes of the Christian life that he could ever walk out. Augustine said that he struggled with this more than anything else. If we really give somebody total forgiveness, not only will we not tell what we know and cause them to feel fear or cause them to feel guilty or reveal their secrets and do it as long as they live, we will pray for them to be blessed. Now, that sounds simple, but I want you to think about this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To pray for those who hurt us, to pray for those who we have forgiven, is to pray that they will be blessed and God will show them favor instead of punishing them. See, it's really easy to say, God, I pray that you teach them a lesson, right? That's not what he means. God, I pray that you get them. God, I pray. And we, we make it sound spiritual. Here, here's our spiritual Sunday school church Sunday morning prayer. God, I'm just going to give them to you. That's a cop out. Joseph, before these guys that beat him and left him enslaved, left his presence said, let me pray for you. And he prayed an incredible blessing on them. You see, we need to pray for those who have hurt us, those that we have forgiven. We need to pray for them that they will be dealt with in the same way that you want God to deal with you. What? We need to pray that God will bless and prosper them in everything that they do. Can you do that? We need to pray that they receive forgiveness. We need to pray that, that they will allow God's presence to touch them. Why is that so hard? Because it's in that step. You see, true forgiveness is not just wiping away a stain. It's replacing that stain with something beautiful. And by you praying for the person that's hurt you, the person that's disappointed you, the person that, that has done things to you or didn't do what you expected, by you praying that God will bless them and forgive them and prosper, you are becoming more like Christ at any other time in your life.